Hi, I'm Rabbi Ami Hirsch of the Stephen Wise Free Synagogue in New York, and you're listening to In These Times. If you told Julia Jassy that one day she would be on a rabbi's podcast talking about Jewish pride, she would have never believed you. But then she got to college. And I heard them say the word Nazi. And once her eyes were opened, she started hearing stories from other Jews on other campuses. Stories have been submitted to us that classmates would throw pennies in the ground for their Jewish friends to pick up. That Jews have been accused of causing the COVID-19 pandemic or controlling the government. Jewish history teaches us that allowing anti-Jewish hate to fester allows it to spread. Indeed, anti-Semitism on campus is so worrying because it doesn't stay there. These students go on to become doctors, lawyers, elected officials, heads of companies, not-for-profit, media companies, educators. Today you're going to hear from a brave young college student who woke up to the anti-Semitism all around her and decided to do something about it. Julia, welcome to In These Times. Thank you so much for having me, Rabbi. You're one of my heroes, my personal hero. I follow you online. I admire your courage and your wisdom and your commitment. And I admire your Jewish identity because, of course, as you know, we meet a lot of young people and their Jewish identity seems to us to be weak. And that's expressed not only within the Jewish community, but in our relationship with uh, other people. So when we encounter somebody like you, it is so uplifting and so inspirational. Thank you. I mean, if you would have told me five years ago that I'd be on a podcast with the rabbi saying this to me, I would have said that you were out of your mind because I was so disconnected from my identity when I was just a few years younger. So hearing that now really means a lot. I really appreciate that. Thank you. I'm really pleased that we feel that mutual sense of support. Why do you say that five years ago your life was completely different from a Jewish perspective and within the last five years something obviously dramatic has changed in uh, your life? How do you explain the transformation? I grew up on Long Island, New York. And if you spent any time on Long Island, there is a very particular Jewish identity that exists there. I was very lucky. I went to public school, but I was never the only Jew in my class. I would always not be the only student celebrating the holidays, not be the only student skipping school on Sukkot because we didn't have off for Sukkot many years. Um, but because of that, I took a kind of privileged perspective of I never really need to care about my identity because it's not something that I'm experiencing isolation because of. And being Jewish on Long Island, I always say it's kind of like playing soccer. Like everyone plays soccer. What became my Jewish identity came from being at home. I mean, I went to Hebrew school until I was bat mitzvah. I had my bat mitzvah in Israel with my family in Israel. And then I moved on. And I found other things that made me really passionate. I was a fencer. I was um, on the newspaper, mock trial, all the other things that high schoolers were into. But I, saying that I was Jewish wasn't something I would use to introduce myself. It wasn't a part of me that I would latch onto in a meaningful way. When I got to college and all of a sudden everything was very different. I would be in rooms where I was definitely the only Jew. And I would feel that presence a lot more than I did in high school. What college was that? I go to the University of Chicago. I'm finishing up my last semester now. So there were there were classes in the University of Chicago? Our impression is there are a lot of Jews there. There definitely are a lot of Jews there. <laughs> <laughs> but you could walk into a class and be the only Jew? My experience with that where I felt it the first time most strongly was at a club meeting. I, you know, was going into my freshman year of college. I was 
an excited student, pretty naive, pretty much romanticizing the idea of college. And I thought that, okay, I'm going to join the French club. Now, of course, I don't speak any French, have no French background, but French seemed like a really cool thing to learn about. So I joined the French club and we were eating some cheese and baguettes one day and they were all speaking French. I was kind of just hanging out there and I heard them say the word Nazi. And I was the only Jew in the club. So I kind of interrupted the conversation and I was like, hey, why are you guys talking about Nazis? And everyone started to laugh a little bit because it was a little bit awkward. And I said, hey, I'm Jewish. I have family on my father's side that some left Europe before the Holocaust, some didn't make it. So I would like to know why you're talking about Nazis. And there was a student there who was studying abroad in the U.S. from Germany. He said, where I come from in Germany, we don't say that your family died in the Holocaust. We say that they took an extended vacation to Germany and never came back. And that was the first time that I ever, first of all, was the only Jew in a space where Jewish identity was being discussed in a pretty bad way, but it was being discussed. And the first time that I ever really, to my face, experienced something that I thought was anti-Semitism, but I didn't know it was anti-Semitism. I didn't understand how to identify it. So I just left the club. Everyone was kind of laughing. I kind of laughed along because I didn't know anything better to do. And I called my mom afterward and I asked her, you know, was that anti-Semitism? And she said, oh my God, of course it was. And that was the moment where I realized how behind I was. I was supposed to be the person in this club that was able to defend Judaism, was able to talk about it, was able to say, you're an anti-Semite, what are you doing? But instead I just left and I never wanted to feel that way again. And that was what kind of made me realize, okay, I have some learning to do. <laughs> and that's been the process of my past three years of my life, basically. <laughs> what was the difficulty for you to really identify what it was? I speak to so many of my peers um, at my campus or other campuses who will experience anti-Semitism. Things that we are able to say, oh my gosh, of course, that's anti-Semitism. But when they tell the story, they are so hesitant to identify it as anti-Semitism like I was. It's a lot of self-doubt, a lot of maybe it's not that bad, maybe I'm overreacting, maybe I'm taking this the wrong way. And a lot of young people in the community really struggle to identify with that experience because we don't want to... We don't want to admit that it's anti-Semitism. We don't want to be the victims of an anti-Semitic remark. We don't want that to define our Jewish identity. And so when it does happen, we're afraid someone's going to think we're overreacting. So your experiences on campus led you to create Jewish on Campus, the organization Jewish on Campus, of which now you are the CEO. So not only are you a full-time student, you're a full-time organizer, activist, CEO of an important organization. It's just an inspiration to know that you can do all of this and you can do it effectively. But tell us about Jewish on Campus. Tell us what, how you created it, where you are now. You're a fundraiser in addition to everything else. It's just a phenomenal story. Yeah, I love this story because I said this in the beginning. If you would have told me this was what I would do five years ago, I would have thought that you were lying. Because Jewish on Campus created itself, I like to say. I mean, that's not to diminish all the sleepless nights that went into creating it. But it was the beginning of the pandemic, the first summer of COVID-19, and everyone was online. And when we were online, we wanted to reach out to other Jewish people to find a community. I just started to get involved with, you know, my local Hillel and wanted to continue being involved in the community in ways I hadn't in the past. So I did the one thing that a 20-year-old at the time would have known how to do, which is I went on Twitter. And I met all of these other Jewish students from other universities. None of them were from my school. 
But they were all experiencing anti-Semitism just like me. And one night at like, I think midnight, we decided to create an Instagram page for the purpose of collecting anti-Semitic stories and sharing them, just to tell other students that if we're experiencing this, all of us from different universities around the country, so must you, and we're all not alone. We're all experiencing this together. Within a month, we had 10,000 followers on Instagram. That was unheard of growth, and we realized what a privilege it was. We had this opportunity now, this platform to reach out to all of these students all of these Jews who were in the same position as us, and we had to do something with it. So we created a nonprofit that works together with students to be in all the places where students are, to give them all the resources students need. There's so much that we do that hopefully people know about. If they don't, please look on our website. I mean, we publish studies of anti-Semitism so people understand what it is that we're combating. We consult with students, help them to contact administration, help them to write petitions, help them to write letters to administration. We have an ambassador program with 42 students all over different universities around the U.S. and Canada who are organizing on their campuses, who are taking charge of anti-Semitism on campus. We have recently engaged in two Title VI cases, and we've been really, really lucky to have incredible support. I mean, we partnered with the World Jewish Congress and have had incredible support from Ambassador Lauder. Just the experience of going from feeling so helpless on campus, so ignored, to all of a sudden having this organization that works with students all over the world, all over the United States, that has support, has been one of the most empowering, if not the most empowering thing I've ever experienced. And I never would have expected it when we started. But now that it has, I can only imagine where we'll go in the next 10 years, God willing. <laughs> when you started Jewish on Campus, uh, along with all of the support that you described from the Jewish community, did you also experience from the other side some animosity, some hatred, some expressions of anti-Semitism? Absolutely. I mean... That began in, in small ways. It would be really hurtful comments I'd see on Twitter from classmates, from colleagues and on-campus jobs. And that was very discouraging in the beginning. The biggest story of this is actually really important to share, and I didn't share it for a long time. I was just beginning this work, and I had posted something on Instagram about a flood of neo-Nazi comments that I'd gotten. It was a really intense flood of neo-Nazi comments, hundreds and hundreds of people leaving some pretty egregious messages. And I posted about that on Instagram to bring awareness to the problem. And I got a comment from someone leaving my family name and home address and threatening to hurt my family. And that was a moment where I stopped everything. I shut down all of my social media, and I didn't know what to do. And I reached out to my rabbi on campus, and she told me that I should reach out to the police. And so I called the police. I filed a report, and the policeman asked me what background I had that was causing the neo-Nazis to leave my home address and threaten my family. And I said, you know, I'm Jewish. And the policeman said, oh, you're Jewish, so you're white, that's not a problem, you're fine, you're safe. And I know in that moment he didn't mean any harm by it, but I felt so scared. I had to explain to him, I kind of stopped my, my crying and my fear, and I explained to him the growth of anti-Semitism in the country. I literally, I think I started quoting FBI statistics about hate crimes in the U.S. By the end of the call, he understood anti-Semitism a lot better, but I felt a lot more frightened. It helped me to really see 
how a lack of education about anti-Semitism can lead to danger because there I was, I mean, being the biggest fear of any Jewish person who exists online, being threatened by people who can harm you. And I was being ignored because anti-Semitism wasn't understood. That just showed me how important it is for us to educate about anti-Semitism because in that vulnerable moment, you need support, you need people to understand it, you need to know that you're gonna be safe. Those of us who have gone on in life, uh, and it's been a while since we've been on campus, we hear from Jewish faculty and we hear various impressions and enough of them to make us worried about what's going on, but we ourselves are not living on campus. So it is important not to overstate the phenomenon. Are, do you think we're doing that in the Jewish community? How pervasive is this phenomenon? I think it's as big of a problem as many people are stating, but also perhaps even a bigger problem than we realize. I entered college in 2019, and it's now 2022, and the landscape on campus has shifted dramatically in my time on campus. So I can't even imagine people who had gone to school 10 years ago trying to grapple with the landscape because it's shifted so much. The problem that we're seeing on campus is shifting in the dynamic that hasn't yet caught on in the mainstream. And it's beginning to slowly and surely. But the people who are on campus and are expressing these anti-Semitic views now will go on to become doctors and lawyers and lawmakers and people in positions of power that can then take these anti-Semitic expressions that are growing on campus and bring those into the mainstream. So I think that the big problem with anti-Semitism on campus is the fear that it's not going to just stay on campus and the reality that what begins on campus doesn't end on campus. Does that mean that you can be a Jewish student on a campus in the U.S. and not have an amazing experience and a vibrant college life and an incredible connection to Jewish identity? Absolutely not. There are so many resources on campus to give Jewish students a home. But what is a problem alongside that, unfortunately, is this growing trend of anti-Semitism that becomes a part of your life, too, and grappling with the fact that both of those are parts of Jewish identity on campus, the celebration, the Shabbat dinners, the community, and also the experience of isolation, the experience of anti-Semitism, is a really hard thing for students to come to terms with. So you gave us one example of what really set your new perspective in motion. What happens on a daily basis? So what I began to experience, what really shifted my identity was the understanding that anti-Semitism can manifest in these big ways that make headlines and also the small ways that make you feel uncomfortable but aren't enough to really make the headlines. Those conversations you have with friends where, you know, I'd say my grandparents are Israeli and that would be the end of the conversation or the experience in classes where you would kind of hide parts of your Jewish identity, not want to identify with parts of it because you were afraid your professors would penalize your grades or just not like you the same way because of it. But then there are the big things, the thing that makes headlines. Jewish on campus is involved in two Title VI complaints against University of Vermont and State University of New York, New Paltz. And in both of those cases, what we saw were clubs that nominally were inclusive exclude Jews. And the most, I think, disturbing thing that we saw in both of those schools was clubs that existed for survivors of sexual assault and sexual violence that explicitly excluded Jews who identified with Zionism or Israel. I am someone that cares very much personally about progressive politics and making the world a safer place for everybody. 
And I would be sitting down with these students from different universities, students who were either born in Israel or whose families were born in Israel, who experienced sexual violence and who wanted to become a part of a club that gave them support, that gave them a space to hear their story, to feel respected. And they were being excluded because of part of their Judaism that they couldn't shed, part of their identity they couldn't shed, part of where they were born that they couldn't shed. And is it mostly centered on Israel or does it seep into just a downright anti-Jewish sentiment that of course is centuries old? Yeah, I think the idea that it just is about Israel is definitely a misconception. First of all, it depends on which schools we're talking about. Certain schools in the South have tremendous problems with classical anti-Semitism, swastikas, the number of incidences that we receive of swastikas spray-painted on different parts of campuses are tremendous and disturbing. And the fact that we kind of are used to that. I remember when I was applying to universities, I was considering going to a certain school at a certain point that I didn't even apply because there were instances of swastikas on campus. And that became normal. That became something that you just know not to apply there. I have also seen the ways that those two things interact. A big challenge that we face is that people tend to just identify anti-Semitism against their political adversaries. And unfortunately, that is lazy activism. There is growing anti-Semitism on the right and growing anti-Semitism on the left. And on the right, that manifests in those classical ways. You see swastikas on campus. Stories have been submitted to us that classmates would throw pennies in the ground for their Jewish friends to pick up. Stories have been submitted to us that Jews have been accused of causing the COVID-19 pandemic or controlling the government. At the same time, students who are Israeli or Zionist are being excluded from sexual assault prevention clubs. I mean, we see this happening on both sides all over the place. And if we just choose to identify with one strain of it, that becomes really dangerous. Although what I will say is that we've done a pretty good job as a community of being able to recognize certain forms of anti-Semitism. We all know when there is a swastika on campus, that's anti-Semitic and we should call that out. We aren't able to identify with the same frequency, other forms of anti-Semitism that are, are newer and are growing, and those become a lot harder to communicate with administration. What we're hearing is that there are many liberal progressive Jewish students who themselves don't recognize the phenomenon of anti-Zionism spilling into anti-Semitism, and in fact, some of them we hear are engaged in the anti-Zionist struggle. I wanted to ask you whether you feel Jewish students themselves recognize the difference between the anti-Israel, anti-Zionist animosity that spills over into anti-Semitism and what we're calling for the purposes of this discussion, classical anti-Semitism. I think that becomes a really challenging thing because you never want to tell someone how to identify as a Jewish person. You never want to tell someone that their identity isn't right or isn't valid. And everyone has the right to choose what parts of Judaism they connect to. I have a, a really close mentor, Aliza Lewin from the Brandeis Center, who phrased this in a way that has stuck with me and impacted the way that I view this from here on. So I'm Jewish. I was raised Jewish. I grew up Jewish. Of course, we talked about my Jewish background. Judaism is a huge part of my identity. I don't keep Shabbat. I have friends who keep Shabbat, and for them, Shabbat is this incredible experience for them to disconnect and connect at the same time, to disconnect from distraction and connect to their identity. And I love to have Shabbat dinner with my family on a Friday night, but I'm not Shomer Shabbat. But that doesn't make Shabbat less a part of a 
Jewish identity for other people. It doesn't make it less important, less impactful for other people's Jewish identity. And there are Jews who aren't Zionists, who don't find that to be a part of their Jewish identity that, that resonates with them. But for Jews like me, we wouldn't be alive without Israel. My family were refugees from different parts of the Middle East, um, come from Sephardic and Mizrahi descent. And if there weren't a place for them in Israel, they wouldn't be alive. I wouldn't be here. And so for me, that is an undeniable part of my Jewish identity. And just like I can say I don't keep Shabbat, I can't say Shabbat's not important to you because Shabbat is a part of your identity that has lasted with you and your identity for thousands of years. And that connection to Judaism is a part of prayer, a part of poetry, a part of art, a part of Jewish culture for thousands of years. And if that's not a part that you resonate with, you can't take that away from other people. That's kind of the way that we need to think about it. Just because there are anti-Zionist Jews doesn't mean that Zionism isn't a part of Judaism. You mentioned you have some interaction with the administration. Is the administration of universities taking this increase in anti-Semitism seriously enough? We've received over 2,000 submissions in the past two years of different incidences that students have experienced on campus. Some of those are interpersonal issues that administration couldn't take action on. There are the beliefs of students on campus that are prejudiced. But some of them are these bigger occurrences where students feel unsafe on campus, students feel that their environment on campus doesn't protect them. And university administration is failing to take action. That's where tools like Title VI come into play. But I think the biggest problem, too, is what I've seen and heard from so many students and what I've experienced myself in interacting with administration is the biggest problem is that anti-Semitism isn't understood by administration. Administration, again, can identify the swastikas but can't identify the exclusion that students experience. And students will come to administration and advocate for different tools. We'll advocate for the International Holocaust Remembrance Association, the IRA definition of anti-Semitism. They'll advocate for training, anti-bias training. They'll advocate for all of these different resources that should be available to students, to faculty, to professors, to understand anti-Semitism, to therefore combat it. And administration isn't listening to Jewish students and what they need. Do you feel you, you receive enough support from Jewish faculty on campus? I think it depends. I mean, I've had some incredible Jewish professors who have been strong. I had a campaign on campus that was spread by Students for Justice in Palestine, which their tagline was boycott, pardon my French, shitty Zionist classes. Those are the words that they use, not mine. But they identified all of these Jewish studies classes. Some of them were about American Jewry even, but because they were taught by professors from Israel, they were considered Zionist classes you had to boycott. And I had this amazing professor who was teaching abroad from the University of Haifa, and he said, if you want to boycott my class, go for it, but this is what I'm going to teach. And the class actually grew in popularity from the Jewish students because he was so strong in his defense of it. But I've also had Jewish professors who have added to the anti-Semitic environment on campus. I had one that was teaching about violent decolonization within the context of Israel. And I mean, for Jewish students who have family in Israel, talking about the conflict is one thing, but supporting violence is something completely different. And so it really depends on the professor. But I think a big challenge is I wholeheartedly believe that when the problem centers around students on campus, students on campus should be the ones that we turn to for answers because we're the ones who are experiencing it firsthand. And so I think that that support of young people, first of all, is important, but second of all, is extremely empowering. It helps us not only to 
take ownership of what's happening, but also to take ownership of our identities, to be able to find strength in combating the hatred that we face. Do you think that we are preparing Jewish students well enough in the Jewish community for what they are going to encounter on campus? And if not, do you have recommendations on how we can do a better job? We see this problem. It's like you can see a train wreck coming. You can see a car crash. You can see into the future that your student's going to go to campus. They're going to experience anti-Semitism. It's going to be hard for them. You can't change lanes. You can't do anything about it. So how do you prepare them for that? I think, first of all, it's important that Jewish students are on campus. It's important that Jewish students are at every university. Because if the problem is bad now, what happens if we took Jewish students out of the equation? Then there's no one to be advocating for Jews on campus. So the fact that students are going is hard and requires strength, but is so important. We cannot throw in the towel. We can't all go to school at just Jewish universities. We need to be in the places where anti-Semitism is. But we need to be prepared for it. And I think the biggest three pieces, I'll say, that equip students for campus life. One is a strong Jewish identity. You need to be proud of your Judaism. You need to care about Judaism because if you don't care about being Jewish, why will you fight against anti-Semitism? The other thing we need to be is educated. It can be super intimidating when you're in a classroom and you kind of experience what I did where you know something is anti-Semitic, you know something is wrong, but you can't identify why. And the last thing you need is community. When I first experienced anti-Semitism on campus, I was super quiet about it. And I saw all of these, this was happening around the time of the pandemic. I saw all of these other Jewish people who were being so proud about their identities. And I realized I could be too. And when I started to be loud and proud about it, I saw so many of my classmates doing the same. It is impossible to do this alone. It's isolating. It's hard. But if you do it with the community, suddenly this experience that is challenging, becomes something that is, again, I'm going to use this pretty kind of empowering. It gives you ownership of your identity. It gives you ownership of your experiences. And I think that that will manifest in different ways for different students. For some people, that's going to be what I do. It's going to be working with organizations to stop anti-Semitism and call it out in all of its places. But for some students, that means going to Shabbat every week. That means going to services. That means having a strong Jewish identity and not letting what you experience on campus stop you or intimidate you from having that. I have classmates who started wearing a kippah on campus because of the anti-Semitism they've experienced as a kind of form of strength and pride against that. And that's important. There's no one way to be a Jewish student on campus, but you have to be Jewish. You have to be proud of it. You have to be involved in it and that's the best thing you can do for yourself and therefore for the community. That's a really powerful message. And also to not only to contemporary uh, university students, but high school students who will be university students in the next few years. I can tell you from experience, Julia, people are thirsty. They hunger for leaders who believe in the right things, and they'll end up supporting those type of people as well. We have many, many parents of teenagers who are listening to this podcast. If you turn directly to the parents of these teenagers who will be on campus in the next year, two, or three, what's your message to them? What do you think they need to know? You can't pretend that anti-Semitism isn't going to happen. You need to make sure that your student doesn't feel alone in their Jewish identity because I think the big fear is that when you're alone, the fight isn't worth it. You're going to kind of shy away from it. If you have a support system in different capacities at home. Your parents, your grandparents have fostered this sense of Jewish pride, have taught you 
to love your heritage, to understand the importance of fighting for it. If you then go to campus and you have strong community, you know that you have resources like Jewish on campus to defend you when anti-Semitism does happen. All of that's important, but you have to know what you're fighting for. For me, part of what empowered me to start was talking to my grandparents, hearing their stories. The story of my family is something that I keep in my mind every single time that I experience anti-Semitism on campus. My family comes from all over. The, any place that you could be, more or less, my family's from there. When I go on campus or I'm online and someone sends me a threat or sends me a message, I know that I'm not just standing up for me. I'm standing up for my grandma and my great-grandma and her great-grandma and all the people before me who life would have been so much easier for them. I come from a Sephardic family. Life would have been so much easier for them if they would have just converted back in the 1400s, but they didn't. And if they could do it, then I can do it too. So talk to your children, teach them your story, teach them your family's story, teach them all of the roadblocks and all of the obstacles and all of the strength it took for them to be a Jewish person today, because that's a miracle. What a beautiful, inspirational message. You said it better than I could, and you said it for me. Julia, I just want to thank you for being and representing the best of us, the best of America, the best of the Jewish community. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for all that you do for the community. And thank you for having me. My discussion with Julia Jassy left me with two powerful emotions. The first is anger. Shame on these universities who tolerate anti-Semitism in their midst. They know what's going on. And they have a responsibility to protect their Jewish students who feel unsafe in quads, in class, and in dorms. American campuses are now saturated with vicious anti-Israel, anti-Zionist propaganda that often bleeds into anti-Semitism. Julia painfully recounted the harrowing attacks and threats against her online and in person that caused her even to have to go to the police. All those who protest the connection between anti-Israel and anti-Jewish hatred protest too much. They should speak to Jewish students. They will tell you, as Julia told us, she spoke about Jewish students expelled or not allowed to join campus groups, even if the group has nothing to do with Israel or religion. Think of the implications of what Julia described. Jewish students excluded from a campus group devoted to supporting survivors of sexual abuse. It's as if these Jewish students were abused twice, once physically, and then again in seeking support from fellow survivors. But the second emotion I felt in speaking with Julia was intense admiration. There are people in this world who are brave, who are born leaders. Julia described a moment that all of us face at some point in our lives when we are standing at the crossroads and must choose between the easy way and the road less traveled by. She described her first encounter with anti-Semitism in a French club of all places, in her first days as a freshman on campus. She wasn't even certain whether it was anti-Semitism at all when a student said to her that her great-grandparents, murdered in the Holocaust, simply took an extended vacation and never came back. Faced with the hard choice of responding, or the easy choice of just ignoring it, she chose the road less traveled by, and it made all the difference. It changed her life. Her leadership now inspires thousands of people, including me, and it will continue to grow in the years ahead. I'm reminded of the passage in the Torah describing the attack on the Israelites from the warlike tribe of Amalek soon after the liberated slaves crossed the Red Sea. Later Jewish tradition considered Amalek not a specific tribe, 
but a general description of evildoers and Jew-haters. When this savage clan attacked, the people must have assumed that God would destroy Amalek as God destroyed Egypt. They probably expected Moses to say, as he did only a short while before, have no fear, God will fight for you. All you need to do is stay silent. But that is not what happened. The Israelites had to fight on their own. Prepare for battle against Amalek, Moses instructed Joshua. There would be no miracle on this day. If they were to prevail, they would have to do it by themselves. The Torah does not give us details of the battle. We do not know how many men fought. There is no description of strategy or tactics. We know only one basic detail. Moses climbed a hill overlooking the clashing sides, and whenever he raised his hands, Israel prevailed. But whenever he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. When Moses' hands grew weary, two men, Aaron, Moses' brother, and Hur, his brother-in-law, took a stone and placed it under Moses so that he could sit, and the two men, one on each side, held Moses' arms aloft until Joshua overwhelmed the Amalekites. Jewish tradition is careful to emphasize that Moses' arms did not make or break the battle. There was no miracle here. It wasn't the actual raising of his arms that supernaturally swung the tide. Rather, the rabbis emphasized that what Moses was doing was encouraging the people to look at him. That's why he was on the hill overlooking the battle. And that is why he wanted his arms to stay aloft. By raising his arms, the people would see their leader and gain strength. And what did they see up there on the hill? They saw a man contending with the same forces they were struggling with. Moses was weary. He sat on a stone in extreme discomfort. He strained against the force of gravity and was defeated by it. No person can withstand resistance alone. The only way Moses could keep his arms up was through the support of other people. He had to rely on them. That's what the people saw when they looked up to the hill. The actual verse in the Torah describing Moses on the hill is magnificent. The Torah states, And Moses' hands remained steady until sunset. The word the Torah used to describe Moses' hands remaining steady is emunah, a word that we commonly associate with faith, belief. When the people looked to the hill, they saw Moses prevailing against the forces arrayed against him through emunah, through a steadfastness born of faith in other people who would help Moses with his battles. By looking at Moses' raised arms, despite the strain, the people themselves developed emunah, faith, confidence in their own capacities to prevail and in each other's willingness to help. Jewish students, parents, and members of our community have faith. Look to the hill and see those amazing young people willing to carry the burdens and risks on behalf of all of us. And then I hope that Jewish students will be inspired to fight back and fight back hard. Fight as hard as our opponents. You will find many allies, both Jewish and non-Jewish. Rediscover your Jewish pride. Stiffen your Jewish backbone. You are not the first generation of Jews to endure anti-Jewish animosities. You will not be the last. I spend many hours a week with young Jews. I often worry that they haven't received enough Jewish knowledge and a strong enough Jewish identity to sustain Judaism in their families and to ensure the future of the American Jewish community. But whenever I spend time with exceptional young Jews like Julia, I am so comforted. I say to myself, they are the best, better than we were at their age. And if there are so many young Jews like Julia, the future of our community is in very good hands. Until next time, this is In These Times.